Section 8 of the Book of Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by the Gypsy. The Book of Ghosts by Sabine Baring Gould. Section 8. But she came forth on a strange scene. She was on a battlefield. The air was charged with smoke and the smell of gunpowder, the roar of cannon and the rattle of musketry, the cries of the wounded, and the shouts of encouragement rang in her ears in a confused din. As she stood, panting, her hand to her breast, staring with wondering eyes, before her charged past a battalion of soldiers, and she knew by their uniforms that they were Bavarians. One of them, as he passed, turned his face towards her. It was the face of an arler, fired with enthusiasm. She knew it. It was that of her son Fritz. Then came a withering volley, and many of the gallant fellows fell, among them he who carried the standard. Instantly, Fritz snatched it from his hand, waved it over his head, shouted, Charge, brothers, fill up the ranks. Charge, and the day is ours. Then the remnant closed up and went forward with bayonets fixed. Tramp! Tramp! Again an explosion of firearms, and a dense cloud of smoke rolled before her, and she could not see the result. She waited, quivering in every limb, holding her breath, hoping, fearing, waiting. And as the smoke cleared, she saw men carrying to the rear one who had been wounded, and in his hand he grasped the flag. They laid him at Anna's feet, and she recognized that it was her freets. She fell on her knees, and snatching the kerchief from her throat and breast, strove to staunch the blood that welled from his heart. He looked up into her eyes, with such love in them as made her choke with emotion, and he said faintly, Mutterschen, do not grieve for me. We have stormed the redoubt. The day is ours. Be of good cheer. Then fly, fly, those French rascals. Mother, remember me. I die for the dear fatherland. And a comrade standing by said, do not give way to your grief, Anna Arler. Your son has died the death of a hero. Then she stooped over him and saw the glaze of death in his eyes, and his lips moved. She bent her ear to them and caught the words, I am not, because you would not. There is no freets. You cast my soul into the brook, and I was carried over the mill wheel. All passed away, the smell of powder, the roar of the cannon, the volumes of smoke, the cry of the battle all to a dead hush. Anna staggered to her feet and turned to go back to her cottage, and as she opened the door, heard the cuckoo call too. But as she entered, she found herself to be not in her own room and house. She had strayed into another, and she found herself not in a lone chamber, not in her desolate home, but in the midst of a strange family scene. A woman, a mother, was dying. Her head reposed on her husband's breast as he sat on the bed and held her in his arms. The man had gray hair, his face was overflowed with tears, and his eyes rested with an expression of devouring love on her whom he supported, and whose brow he now and again bent over to kiss. About the bed were gathered her children, ay, and also her grandchildren, quite young, looking on with solemn, wondering eyes, on the last throes of her whom they had learned to cling to and love with all the fervor of their simple hearts. One might held her doll, 
dangling by the arm, and the forefinger of her other hand was in her mouth. Her eyes were brimming, and sobs came from her infant breast. She did not understand what was being taken from her, but she wept in sympathy with the rest. Kneeling by the bed was the eldest daughter of the expiring woman, reciting the litany of the dying, and the sons and another daughter and a daughter-in-law repeated the responses in voices broken with tears. When the recitation of the prayers had ceased, there ensued for a while a great stillness, and all eyes rested on the dying woman. Her lips moved, and she poured forth her last petitions that left her as rising flakes of fire kindled by her pure and ardent soul. O God, comfort and bless my dear husband, and ever keep thy watchful guard over my children and my children's children, that they may walk in the way that leads to thee, and that in thine own good time we may all, all be gathered in thy paradise together, united forevermore. Amen. A spasm contracted Anna's heart. This woman with ecstatic upturned gaze this woman breathing forth her own peaceful soul on her husband's breast was her own daughter elizabeth and in the fine outline of her features was joseph's profile all again was hushed the father slowly rose and quitted his position on the bed gently laid the head on the pillow put one hand over the eyes that still looked up to heaven and with the fingers of the other tenderly arranged the straggling hair on each side of the brow then, standing and turning to the rest, with a subdued voice, he said, My children, it has pleased the Lord to take to himself your dear mother and my faithful companion. The Lord's will be done. Then ensued a great burst of weeping, and Anna's eyes brimmed till she could see no more. The church bell began to toll for a departing spirit, and following each stroke there came to her as the after-clang of the boom, There is not, there has not been, and Elizabeth. There would have been all this, but thou wouldst it not. For the soul of thy Elizabeth thou didst send down the mill-stream and over the wheel, frantic with shame, with sorrow, not knowing what she did or whither she went, Anna made for the front door of the house, ran forth and stood in the village square. To her unutterable amazement it was vastly changed. Moreover, the sun was shining brightly, and it gleamed over a new parish church of cut white stone, very stately, with a gilded spire, with windows of wondrous lacework. Flags were flying, festoons of flowers hung everywhere. The triumphal arch of leaves and young birch trees was at the graveyard gate. The square was crowded with peasants, all in their holiday attire. Silent, Anna stood and looked around and as she stood, she heard the talk of the people about her. One said, It is a great thing that Johann von Arler has done this for his native village. But see, he is a good man, and he is a great architect. But why, asked another, do you call him von Arler? He was the son of that Joseph, the Jaeger, who was killed by the smugglers in the mountains. That is true. But do you not know that the king has ennobled him? He has done such great things in the residence. He built the new town hall, which is thought to be the finest thing in Bavaria. He added a new wing to the palace, and he has rebuilt very many churches and designed mansions for the rich citizens and the nobles. But although he is such a famous man, his heart is in the right place. He never forgets that he was born in Siebenstein. 
Look what a beautiful house he has built for himself and his family on the mountainside. He is there in the summer, and it is furnished magnificently. But he will not suffer the old, humble Arler cottage here to be meddled with. They say that he values it above gold. And this is the new church he has erected in his native village. That is good. Oh, he is a good man, is Johann. He was always a good and serious boy, and never happy without a pencil in his hand. You mark what I say. Some day hence, when he is dead, there will be a statue erected in his honor, here, in this marketplace, to commemorate the one famous man that has been produced by Siebenstein. But see, see, here he comes to the dedication of the new church. Then, through the throng, advanced a blonde, middle-aged man, with broad forehead, clear, bright blue eyes, and flowing light beard. All the men present plucked off their hats to him, and made way for him as he advanced. But full of smiles, he had a hand and a warm pressure, and a kindly word and a question as to family concerns for each who was near. All at once his eye encountered that of Anna. A flash of recognition and joy kindled it up, and extending his arms, he thrust his way towards her, crying, My mother, my own mother. Then, just as she was about to be folded to his heart, all faded away, and a voice said in her soul, He is no son of thine, Anna Arler. He is not, because thou wouldst not. He might have been, God had so purposed, but thou madest his purpose of none effect. Thou didst send his soul over the mill-wheel. And then, faintly, as from a far distance, sounded in her ear the call of the cuckoo three. The magnificent new church had shriveled up to the original mean little edifice Anna had known all her life. The square was deserted. The cold, faint glimmer of coming dawn was visible over the eastern mountain tops, but stars still shone in the sky. With a cry of pain like a wounded beast, Anna ran hither and thither, seeking a refuge, and then fled to the one home and resting place of the troubled soul, the church. She thrust open the swing door, pushed in, sped over the uneven floor, and flung herself on her knees before the altar. But see, before that altar stood a priest in a vestment of black and silver, and a serving boy knelt on his right hand on a lower stage. The candles were lighted, for the priest was about to say mass. There was a rustling of feet, a sound as of people entering, and many were kneeling shortly after on each side of Anna, and still they came on. She turned about and looked and saw a great crowd pressing in, and strange did it seem to her eyes that all, men, women, and children, young and old, seemed to bear in their faces something, a trace only in many, of the arlor or the Voss features and the little serving-boy, as he shifted his position, showed her his profile, which was like her little brother who had died when he was sixteen. Then the priest turned himself about and said, Oremus, and she knew him. He was her own son, her Joseph, named after his dear father. The mass began and proceeded to the Sursum Corda. Lift up your hearts. When the celebrant stood facing the congregation with extended arms, and all responded, We lift them up unto the Lord. But instead of proceeding with the accustomed invocation, he raised his hands high above his head, with the palms toward the congregation, and in a loud, stern voice exclaimed, Cursed is the unfruitful field. Amen. 
Cursed is the barren tree. Amen. Cursed is the empty house. Amen. Cursed is the fishless lake. Amen. For as much as Anna Arler, born Voss, might have been the mother of countless generations, as the sand of the seashore for number, as the stars of heaven for brightness, of generations unto the end of time, even of all of us now gathered together here, but she would not, therefore shall she be alone, with none to comfort her, sick, with none to minister to her, broken in heart, with none to bind up her wounds, feeble, and none to stay her up, dead, and none to pray for her, for she would not, she shall have an unforgotten, an unforgettable past, and have no future, remorse, but no hope, she shall have tears, but no laughter, for she would not, woe, woe, woe. He lowered his hands, and the tapers were extinguished. The celebrant faded as a vision of the night. The server vanished as an incense cloud. The congregation disappeared, melting into shadows, and then from shadows to nothingness, without stirring from their places, without a sound. And Anna, with a scream of despair, flung herself forward with her face on the pavement and her hands extended. Two years ago, during the first week in June, an English traveller arrived at Siebenstein and put up at the Crone, where, as he was tired and hungry, he ordered an early supper. When that was discussed, he strolled forth into the village square and leaned against the wall of the churchyard. The sun had set in the valley, but the mountain peaks were still in the glory of its rays, surrounding the place as a golden crown. He lighted a cigar, and looking into the cemetery, observed there an old woman bowed over a grave, above which stood a cross inscribed Joseph Arler, and she was tending the flowers on it, and laying over the arms of the cross a little wreath of heart's ease, or pansy. She had in her hand a small basket. Presently she rose and walked towards the gate by which stood the traveller. As she passed, he said kindly to her, Grüß Gott, Madrushan. She looked steadily at him and replied, Honoured sir, that which is past may be repented of, but can never be undone, and went on her way. He was struck with her face. He had never before seen one so full of boundless sorrow, almost of despair. His eyes followed her as she walked toward the mill stream, and there she took her place on the wooden bridge that crossed it, leaning over the handrail and looking down into the water. An impulse of curiosity and of interest led him to follow her at a distance, and he saw her pick a flower, a pansy, out of her basket and drop it into the current, which caught and carried it forward. Then she took a second and allowed it to fall into the water. Then after an interval, a third, a fourth, and he counted seven in all. After that she bowed her head on her hands, her grey hair fell over them, and she broke into a paroxysm of weeping. The traveller, standing by the stream, saw the seven pansies swept down, and one by one pass over the revolving wheel and vanish. He turned himself about to return to his inn, when, seeing a grave peasant nearby, he asked, Who is that poor old woman who seems so broken down with sorrow? 
that replied the man is the mother of pansies the mother of pansies he repeated well it is the name she has acquired in the place actually she is called anna arler and she is a widow she was the wife of one joseph arler a jaeger who was shot by smugglers but that is many many years ago she is not right in her head but she is harmless when her husband was brought home dead she insisted on being left alone in the night by him before he was buried alone with his coffin and what happened in that night no one knows some affirm that she saw ghosts i do not know she may have had thoughts the french word for these flowers is pensées thoughts and she will have none others when they are in her garden she collects them and does as she has done now when she has none she goes about to her neighbors and begs them she comes here every evening and throws in seven just seven no more and no less and then weeps as one whose heart would split my wife on one occasion offered her forget-me-nots no she said i cannot send forget-me-nots after those who never were i can only send pansies End of section eight recording by the gypsy